Hiya and welcome to Brain Injury Advice, where we provide help and advice for people after a brain injury. My name's Brooke and I've lived with a traumatic brain injury since 2007. Hi, I'm Ashwani and I'm a trustee at Headway Warrington. I'm also a senior associate solicitor focusing on catastrophic injury, including brain injury. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of esteem, that feeling of confidence, of accomplishment, and having the respect of others as well, because that can have a huge impact on your self-esteem. We're also going to be talking about it specifically in the context of what you do on a day-to-day basis, whether that's work or something else, and how you go back to that after brain injury or not. It may be that after a brain injury, you might be looking to go back to work. And if so, there may be adaptations um, to take into account or certain limitations. Or otherwise, it might also be an opportunity to look at finding something else that you enjoy that, that has meaning for you. Brooke, I'd like to talk to you about your experiences. Um, of course, you were at university at the time that your injury happened. Did you really have a sense of what you wanted to achieve in life at that point? I was studying for a degree in electrical engineering and with a view to go and work with my dad on the oil rigs. I didn't have that much of a, a plan in life, but um, one thing that having the injury did, it certainly put a stop to any plans that I did have. Mm. Um, I remember like a really early initial phone call with my dad um, when I was, I was actually laid in the hospital bed and he was telling me about a job opportunity that he had because he, 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 um, he was working in the Middle East at the time. And I thought, I genuinely thought um, he was talking about a job for me. Maybe this is like a lack of insight or it's um, just not really, not really understanding things properly. My dad was talking about a job f- for him um but i kind of heard it as because all that was on my mind at the time was i wanted to start work i wanted to do something with my life mm-hmm. and um i was thinking that i was going out to to work either in the north sea or in the middle east in a couple of months time and i genu- genuinely genuinely thought that but i suppose i didn't realize that i'd been in this coma I suppose now it was like the middle of the summer. And if anybody remembers the summer of 2007, it wasn't really, uh, it was no, it was pretty much non-existent. But I was, it was now like July and I had the accident in May. I didn't really realize that a few months had passed. Um, I just didn't really realize anything, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I suppose as well, um, thinking about, you know, where you were at that point in time, in terms of being in university, having friends who were, looking forward to graduating and having a, you know, the normal nine to five job, so to speak. Were you sort of thinking that that was going to be your path as well? I was always aware that I needed to to do something. I didn't realize I'd been like, I didn't realize the enormity of what had happened to me at all. I just thought it was going to be like when my dad was talking about, I thought I was genuinely going to in a couple of months' time, I'm going to be either in the North Sea or in the Middle East working. My dad had said to me something I remember him saying was, uh, no, your, your job's to get better. Mm. And I just thought, I thought, no, it's not. I thought, I'm, I need to get back to work. I just didn't realise what happened to me. One, because mm. I didn't really remember. I had no memory of this thing. From my point of view, I was just in this hospital and loads of people were coming to see me. Mm. I didn't really think about why 
or what for. But um, it was something I thought was very much temporary. Yeah. And it sort of touches on something we've talked about before, this idea of not running before you can walk, allowing yourself the time to, to recover. But when, when you're in that situation and perhaps there is that lack of insight as to just the enormity of what's happened to you and the fact that you can't just pick up, you know, get out of bed from hospital and go into a job, but it can be quite difficult to, to come to terms with as well. And I, remember, I, know, I know that you um, were concerned that you didn't want to be sort of in a position where you weren't doing anything or perceived as someone on benefits. Not that there is anything wrong with that, I should no. hasten to add. But I think for you, that wasn't what you wanted. There was, there was a, I remember there was a TV program out at the time called Benefit Street. And it was like pretty much looking down on people that were on benefits. So the whole premise of the show was look at these um people not working um and living off the government and everybody was looking down on them calling them scum and what have you and i just thought that's what i was doing at the time and i wanted to get away from that i didn't i think one of the things for me was i wanted to to earn people's respect really i didn't want people thinking ill of me and respect is a big part of your self-esteem feeling that other people respect you yeah i mean i didn't obviously everybody had seen me have this accident uh, get run over by this car um i've seen me in a coma um gradually getting you know waking up from a coma um saying my first words but like i didn't see anything about i didn't know anything about that i just remember my genuine first memory of coming out of a coma was like six weeks later after the accident um, me being in, it's called C2 Ward in Hope Hospital. I'm sorry, it was Hope Hospital then, it's Salford Royal Hospital now. And just seeing all my photos by my bedside and just thinking, what have I done now? That, <laughs> that was my, that was my first memory. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I had no, no clue of the enormity of what I've been through. Mm. Um, we've also talked about in previous episodes, um, you know, around the idea of not comparing yourself to others and, but y- Naturally, you would have been looking at your friends um, who were, you know, at the beginning of their their career journeys, carving out that sort of um, normal, <laughs> dare I say, um, lifestyle of full-time jobs, etc. Yeah, I think what happened to me, um, well, it happened to me at 24, but I think I was really a couple of years behind everyone else because I'd been, um, I'd gone traveling first when I was 21. And I never really wanted to go to university when when the time was, you know, when everybody normally went to university. It was was eighteen. I um, I wanted to go travelling first, so I did that. And then um, when I come back, you know, I was twenty four, and a lot of my friends had been to university. They started out on this career. If they hadn't been to university, they'd been working that particular job that they'd been doing for quite some time. So they're getting like established in it. And I was still like at the um, the bottom of the pecking order, and I just had this had this like this fatigue issue. The whole the main issue for me has been this fatigue, and it was just horrendous because you know, like I couldn't even watch um, a, a TV program for half an hour. Um, so the thought of like going back to uni was just a was just it was just a non-starter. I was aware of all my friends like starting out in their lives and starting in their careers and stuff. I was thinking, you know, what can I do? 
what mm-hmm. I do. And um, I remember hearing, um, I remember hearing at a friend's party, um, some guys, some of the men they were talking to, one of my friends, I just remember like the, the level of respect that he was getting. I thought I want I wanted that for myself because I know all of a sudden like I'd been yeah, I'd been through this big trauma, but I were um I hadn't I, you know, I was just a bit of a I was a poorly boy, so I didn't really want um I wanted to get away from that image. Mm. I felt this need to do something, but I just I, you know, the, my options were limited because I could you know, I couldn't concentrate on it, I couldn't do anything. Mm. I remember it was when I when I went to live with my sister in um, in Manchester, she had this book on the shelf and it was, I've never even read this book. I've spoken about it a few times. It was like, do something every day that scares you. Mm. And I never even read the book. I don't even know what it was about, but um, I took it to mean, you know, to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And um, I also, I was I was visiting my sister and it was, I was on the metro, I was on the tram, sorry, and there was a metro free newspaper and there was a little article in there of like the, things that people are most scared of mm. and there was um i think like death was number three um and then it was spiders and then number one was public speaking i thought i've never been like massively confident but i just thought that's something i can i could do because it, you know i thought if everybody's scared of it then i could do that um, and i wouldn't be scared of it and um it fit well because you know, the actual public speaking itself, that would only take, you know, a half an hour, an hour, and then you could spend your own time um, planning what you're going to say. Yeah. And um, also, I wanted respect off people, and I thought, if it's, if it's something that people are more scared of, then I could do it. And they could respect you because you're doing something that, that was, they might be scared of. Yeah. Um, and I guess you could talk about something that was very personal to you, i.e. your experiences, and that would be engaging for for people listening to you. The first thing I ever did was um, I got involved with this because I was living in Scarborough at the time, and there was I heard I got wind of there was somebody who was setting up a headway group, and I mean, bear in mind, you know, headway I know a lot about now, but at the time I'd never heard of this thing, headway. Mm. And I got invited to come along, and um, and I did this I did this speech basically of what happened to me, and. I think about 40 people came to watch me and um I mean it wasn't a great performance but I was just I just literally I had, I had it written down on a piece of paper word for word what I was going to say and I put my head down and I read it but it was I wrote it quite well and it was it, it got a good reception I just, I just I remember like the round of applause you get at the end and I just wanted um that's what I wanted I wanted to be like appreciated in life I just wanted to be you know I wanted to, to I always wanted to do something with my life, but um, I didn't quite ever know what. But um, having this injury, it just massively limited that. And I just thought, you know, you know, you know for those a while, I thought I'm never going to be anything. I'm just going to be some, to be poorly in this house. But that was something, yeah, I got, I got a buzz out of it. And then from there, my um, auntie had got me um, a few... Um, she worked for North York County Council, and I got I got into um, working with like the emer- I got into working with the fire service there, and they used to go and visit like different colleges. I, they would speak about road safety, and um, I would speak about being a victim of a poor driver. Mm. From that, I moved over to Manchester, and I used to go and do it in um, yeah, I used to do it in Castleford, 
it used to be quite petrifying because there, there were only young, you know, there were 17, 18 year olds at college and they were a bit, um, because, I suppose because the fireman was like a, in a position of authority, they were giving him no respect and stuff and they mm. were giving him a bit of cheek and I just thought, you know, like when, when a comedian gets heckled, <laughs> I thought I would just be, I would just crumple because I, my speed of thought was just so slow. But bless them, they were all, when I started speaking, they were all really, really nice and really respectful. I think it was because I'd, um, you know, I just, I, I don't know why did they respect me. Well, I think it's also, you know, your your story touches so many people, let's be fair. Yeah. And I guess in the context of road safety, they will have probably have had the road safety chats many, many times. But to see the other side of it, that this is the consequence of, you know, yeah. bad driving. And a lot of what the firemen did, they used to play them adverts that were on TV, which were full of actors and stuff anyway. But yeah. Um, Whereas he's a real person. Yeah, a real person. So, I, yeah. Um, and then I was like, it was the guy was called Andy Walker. And I said, um, you know, have you got anything else that I can do? And he put me in touch with somebody who worked for the fire service in Manchester uh, called Leslie Allen, who was doing this thing called Safe Drive, Stay Alive. And Safe mm. Drive, Stay Alive is a show will work like this. It'll be, say, Someone from the police, someone from the fire, someone from the ambulance, maybe the hospital will each um, tell a particularly harrowing story from their career. Mm. And then I come out um, and I tell what happened to me because I'm a victim of poor driving of a young driver. It's really, really powerful. I'm really proud to be involved in it. But that's amazing, you know, from something, from not knowing what to do with your life um, to then starting out you know, telling your story, realizing the effect that that had on other people, that people were sitting up, taking notice, respecting you, um, to, to, you know, getting that message out to so many people where it could really make a difference. Um, I'd like to think so. I mean, the Surf Drive Stay Alive, it's like you can never quantify how many people you do help, mm -hmm. uh, how, many, how many lives you do save, but I'd like to think, you know, it makes people think twice you know yeah. turn out into a busy junction and um it certainly has it definitely has an effect you know you get you get your uh, jack the lads don't you who um you know want to look hard in front of the mates and pretend they're not bothered but you do get a lot of them fainting you get a lot of them crying afterwards and mm. we, what we do is we stand in like the foyer afterwards when people you know when they're all coming out um out of the theater and they, they walk you know it's so a lot of them walk past but some of them uh, come up and say um how how good it was and how how much how much you've uh, in, inspired them and um, you know this that old thing isn't the you know if you if you only save one life it's worth it but yeah. having seen what you know me nearly dying has done to my family you know if you can save that you know the trauma and then you know I was lucky as well if if you could save that for one family it's certainly worth it so yeah yeah definitely and it's. Is it still something that scares you, public speaking? <laughs> um, I think I think I'm bothered about doing a bad job. Um, I'm bothered about letting people down now because it was Leslie. Um, now it's now a lady called Roz. Um, so I actually, I still go on with notes. I don't go on without my notes because I just got this fear of like you, you're in, you're under a spotlight, and mm. what if you just forgot what you're going to say? I, I do. Um, a little bit scared of that but as long as I've got my notes I'm um, alright it's just 
it's public speaking it's just a it's just a practice thing it's like a skill it's like anything else people say i couldn't do that and like you know i couldn't do it at first because i just i looked down and read um word for word off the um off the piece of paper but now you, you know you get to a point where you start looking up and you start looking people in the eye and you know you've got all these things that you know imagine the audience naked and stuff like that but you don't have to do that it just your confidence comes with time yeah because you've done it so many times yeah, and you know it's just like speaking to one person but it's you know speaking to a lot of them that's all it is and i guess you know yeah people in, enjoy listening to you you're good at it how did you get into the blog writing again it was something that it was the product of been stuck at home with nothing to do i had this dell computer and it was do you remember is it dongles mm, um, yes and you used to plug them into your laptop um, into your usb and it was like it was a t-mobile dongle and uh, we used to use it to get on the internet that way it was just literally searching for something with brain injury because I, I had this thing that was wrong with me but i had i didn't really sort of believe it myself i didn't really understand it. i wanted to know more about it and I, um, I was just researching, trying to, trying to Google stuff for brain injury. But like all that you ever got was like extreme examples of brain injury, mm. where people, you know, barely like, in, you know, in a terrible situ- in a terrible way. But obviously, that didn't speak to me. I remember thinking that I'd love to kind of um, have some sort of website where people could go and, you know, people like who were in my position could yeah. go and um, learn about it. Yeah, especially if they were experiencing a lot of the same things that you were and just yeah. understand why that might be and that it's okay to, to to be going through that. Yeah. And I suppose it was also something that, much like the public speaking, the preparation for it, you could do in your own time without pressure. Yeah. Um, I remember ages ago when I was, when I was younger, my dad used to work on the Oregs and he used to bring me like software home and he used to brought me this thing called Mavis Beacon teaches typing and he's trying to get me to learn how to touch type because my dad could always touch type and I never could but um it was like anything you know he tried it for maybe a day and then he just got bored of it but um so I, I remember the Mavis Beacon teaches typing so I downloaded that off the internet and I taught myself to touch type and then um somebody suggested doing writing a blog and I put that off for a while and then um I just wanted to produce this content for my for my website. I just wanted to do something because everything was so everything was so miserable. Everything was so like extreme versions of brain injury, and everything mm. was so misery. And um, I wanted to write it with a bit of humour in it as well. I guess as well, a lot of things that you probably were accessing at the time were also very medical, very scientific. Exactly. Yeah. And just having sort of the voice of someone who's been through it you know a normal person yeah that's yeah that's what i wanted to be not not, not i mean like a friend to people but so something something accessible and something something relatable yeah yeah and do you get much um feedback from i used to yeah i used to write the blogs and i used to post them on um different facebook um groups and stuff uh, the, obviously the basic one is sort of a brain and spine injury center headway um there's a few different brain injury groups around around the world that's mm. what's the great thing about the internet is yeah. there. and yeah i used to read all the comments and stuff and um it's like loads of people say how good it is and then you get one person being abusive and mm. it's just that's it's what sticks to you. yeah, yeah. Course it is. but um i was really into like promoting the facebook site I started a Facebook page and, um, you know, I used to be on it a lot. And um, I think I got up to about 
2,000 followers. I mean, I guess, you know, thinking about some of the positives that have come out of what happened to you, you discovered perhaps a love of and a passion for communicating, be it through, you know, public speaking or writing that perhaps you might not have otherwise found. No, I think like you had in your head that the only way to be successful in your life was to go to school, um, go to college, go to uni, get your best exam results, get a job and then work mm. until you die. And it's Nine not to obviously, five, yeah. yeah, and it's not, it's not the case, is it? And no. um, I suppose I come away with everything. I'm quite critical of myself. And all you think about, if you've done some sort of public speaking of what you've done, is what you've done wrong. Mm. But um, I think you need to big yourself up more and think yeah, about the people you. What, yeah, I'm a psychologist. Who are to me. I'm too, I'm too, um, I'm too hard on myself. But um, I suppose that's how you get better, isn't it? And it's yeah, you feel it improving every time. Yeah, and like you know, bet- between the public speaking, the blog writing, it's the things that you can do in your own time, you know, taking into account your fatigue, etc. You've got time to prepare and you know your story better than anybody else. So it's talking about what you know, what you um what what sort of comes from the heart, I guess. Even with even though I know my story though, I still I couldn't recite it. I, I don't know, could I I probably could, but without my without my I need my notes there. I need my notes just to to prompt me i don't need to read you know line word for word anymore but i just need a little bullet point and i can talk on the back of that and without that i'll probably go off on the tangent and forget what i was talking about in addition to the public speaking and the blog writing you've also been doing a lot of fundraising and dare i say also getting um your fitness to sort of well almost professional levels um how did you get into that fitness was something that absolutely um it literally saved my life. I mean, when I was I was run over, it was very, really quite badly. I was the, the three on the glass of coma scale, um, which it doesn't get any worse than. But uh, my level of fitness at the time was the highest it's been. The first thing that the consultant actually said to my dad was that if it was you, you'd be, you'd be dead. Um, I worked at this bar called Brannigan's, which is now Albert Schloss in Manchester, I started going to the gym um, with one of the guys who worked there, and I got um, I just got obsessed by it. And um, but um, I did I did get um, my level of fitness and my strength to such a level that I was able to survive that. So I remember being in the hospital, and I wanted to I just remember wanting to get back weightlifting. That's what I wanted to do again. I, I started running one night, and um, it gave me like so much more energy. So. Um, I knew that was the way forward. It was a, it was a um, as part of my case. It was a care expert called Maggie Sargent who told me that aerobic exercise was best because it gets oxygen into your blood, which gets to your brain. You know, keeping fit would be um, a lot better than for your, for your recovery. Mm-hmm. And all I wanted to do was I wanted to recover and I wanted to get back to you know. The whole time I was deluded. I thought I would just be you know. I thought I'd be a couple more weeks, a couple more weeks, but. Um, yeah, something, the fitness was something I really pushed. And so I did a couple of 10K runs and then eventually I did the Great North Run. I did it with a couple of my friends and we all we all went and did the Great North Run together. And um, I I raised like over a thousand pound and I always wanted to do something with my life. And I, this was getting um, a lot of attention and people were saying it was really good. So I, I just did more of that. And um, I saw that 
for a way of a career for myself, I thought um, fundraising, you know, even if it's not working nine to five, I was doing, you know, bringing some good into the world. It was mm. about having that reason to get up in the morning and that became to raise the money to help Headway. Wow, amazing. And it is, it's, you know, it's touching other people, it's raising awareness, um, potentially saving lives. And at the yeah. same time, getting that sort of that validation that you have a purpose. I think with it being like when I was when I'm going back to when I had that the Dell laptop and the dongle, you just you you research stuff, and it was just there was just literally nothing out there, and it was just I wanted to just yeah just increase awareness of it, and I had this thing which I to be honest didn't really understand, and to be honest I probably still don't understand fully. Uh, having a brain injury but um i suppose the reason for that is because your the organ that helps you understand stuff i.e your brain is damaged mm. so but I, I did want it to to make it more of a um more of a mainstream thing but you know it's it, this stuff's coming in now there's like stuff like in sainsbury's you can wear um like a lanyard to say you need help and stuff like that i think louis theroux did a documentary on it there was um there's a lot, a lot more attention on TV, and um, I mean, there's still nowhere where it becomes the norm. But these uh, people do recognise what a brain injury is now. Mm. And I remember like um, people saying to me, um, I remember going on this date with this girl, and it was too, it was I was still in Scarborough then. It must have been 2011, and her quote was, "The accident was four years ago, Brooke. You need to get over it." and um and i was just saying i had fatigue it just sounded it sounded really rubbish i wanted to i used to say i used to say it was neurological fatigue mm. i don't even know if that was a real thing but it was um it just sounded a lot more professional than fatigue didn't it it just sounded like i thought i thought that it just sounded that i sounded like i was lazy but um it was something i just wanted it to be to be more awareness of and to be recognized more and everything I guess I've tried, I've done is to promote that. Yeah, yeah, to bring awareness that yeah. it isn't just you're not <clears throat> trying to be lazy. It's it is a, a medical issue. Yeah, and people people who have it understand it, but mm. a lot you know a lot of people you know if you mix in the circle with people where people, you know for for instance you go to headway you don't have to say you know you don't have to explain what fatigue is because everyone knows what fatigue yeah. is, but. Um, I found like I was, you know, the majority of the people that you mix with aren't don't have brain injuries, so they don't know what it is. Yeah, and there, you're right. There is a little bit more awareness nowadays and around um, hidden disabilities, and um, you know that not everything is just physical. Um, and I think we've mentioned before the Headway Brain Injury Card, for example, where you can list what. Um, how your head injury affects you. Yeah. I would have um, loved that in the early days, like the early yeah. days of me having a brain injury. But um, yeah, it's out now, so I'd recommend to anybody to get that. Yeah, but um, it is important to you know to to remember that head injuries affect people in different ways, and you know can cause different limitations, and some of those could be permanent. Absolutely, and there's there's that the old saying that if, you, if you've seen one brain injury, you've seen one brain injury, and it yeah. was. Um, when I was moved to Manchester, I'd like, you just try and do different things. Like, there was something that um, interested me. It was called NLP. It was Neuro Linguistic Programming. Yeah. And um, there was a talk about that. 
And I went to this talk and something that really annoyed me, actually, the woman who was giving the talk was saying um, that she had a brain injury but and she couldn't smell for a while. And one thing that she did was she got a boyfriend's trainer, smell, boyfriend's smelly trainers, and she used to just smell them. And from doing that every night, um, she got like a sense of smell back. And I remember people sort of looking at me and like nodding as if, you know, you should be like her. Um, and for one, I was trying to explain that it was much more serious than hers. Um, and um, she said she was trying to sell this. What I went to was it was like a taster course for this longer course. And it would be like eight hours a day um, for five days. I was trying to do that with fatigue. <laughs> yeah. And I was saying like, I couldn't do that. And her, and she, what she was saying was, You'd be surprised what goes in um, when you when you're um, you know you don't think it's going in, but it will be going in. And uh, and I was just trying to explain that I've got a brain injury; it won't go in at all. Mm. But I think she was just trying to get money out of me. Once she, that's what she was trying to do. <laughs> but thinking about you know limitations and coming back to this idea of esteem, of doing something, having that feeling of accomplishment. We've talked a lot about, you know, your specific experiences. Um, you've been able to go into public speaking, um, blog writing. You've been doing a lot of fundraising. Um, but I'm sure a number of our listeners, that might not be their path. That um, was what worked for me. And yeah. like you've seen one brain injury, you've seen one brain injury. That's what, that's that's what your brain specifically for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there'll be other listeners who, you know, were in a particular role employment role and are looking to go back to that exactly yeah um and it's important to as we've spoken about before in in other episodes about taking the time to recover um it's it's really key not to set yourself up to fail um in that sort of desperation to to return to work it's yeah. about giving yourself the time to be able to go back rather than rushing back and then it all going wrong, which could be much more devastating um, in the longer run. And certainly people I've supported, I, I've seen so many people wanting, you know, their, their primary focus after an injury has been, I want to get back to work. Because, you know, for, for many people, work is what defines them. It's it's what um, is the basis of that feeling of esteem. Um, that's, you know, this is I am my name is this and this is what I do it, it defines you yeah, doesn't it yeah um, I remember I've I've seen a neuropsychologist called Russell Sheldrick at Salford Royal Hospital and have done since 2007 um he's something identified what he identified with me is that he is the identity you want to say I am broken I am this and um I do something whereas like I think I'm different in that you know, a lot of people have families or people have full-time, you know, jobs, careers already established. I was in a position where I was a student and I didn't really have, um, I was in the process of transitioning to, from a young to a person to an adult. And um, I didn't have anything specifically to go back to. So um, I've just tried to, that this is what I've found for myself is, public speaking and um, fundraising. But yeah. yeah, and some people have families and stuff they have. Um, yeah, of course. And there'll pressure. be concerns about paying bills or supporting family or, you know, whatever. And it's they're valid concerns. And it's, I guess, it's about making sure that those steps are taken at the right time. Um, 
some you know it could be working with um vocational rehabilitation specialists for example to understand how their injury has affected them and what skills they have and what those skills could be transferred to what makes them tick at the end of the day you want to be doing something that has meaning and purpose for you. Um, I've seen it so many times um, supporting people who perhaps had um, also other kinds of injuries, complex orthopedic injuries, where they might have been in a a much more manual trade. It just wouldn't be appropriate to stick them in front of uh, a computer at an office desk when they've been out and about their whole working life. And, so it is important to find what works, but also to to take it at the right pace, to to do it in a phased way, and having open dialogues as well with employers about um, any particular limitations, any adapt- adaptations that are needed um, to try and return to the workplace, any alternative roles, something that can still give that feeling of purpose and esteem. Um, and potentially also, you know, the, the financial benefit of being able to um, work. It's not always about financial benefit as well. It's um, if you, you know, if you if you need to work, you need to work. But I mean, I'm just talking about um, like I've got a friend Ben who works. He works in a charity shop just for his own self esteem, mm. um, not for the money side. And he also does. He's a comedian. Does stand up comedy on night. So um, it's it's. It's about having, you know, you, you can't sit and watch daytime TV, can you? No. You want, you need to do something with your life because that'll just cause depression. It's so, having purpose. Yeah, having it? purpose and do it. Yeah, do, having a reason to get up in the morning and doing your yeah, feel a feeling of accomplishment in the day. Yeah. So when you go to bed at night, you know, you've got to feel I've done something. Yes. And even if it's just, I think that's important. And my sister used to say to me in my sort of very early days of recovery, if I just try and do one thing a day. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd have like, you'd think you could do much more. You know, you had these big plans to do all these different things, but, you know, I never, never accomplished any of them. But when you're in recovery from head injury, a good thing to to do is when you tick something off. It's an occupational therapy thing, right? So, mm-hmm. like, a, it's therapeutic, you know, you're ticking things off a list that you've done something. Yeah. And even if it's just one thing a day, just try and do one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And being realistic about, what you can achieve don't make a list that's so long that you'll never get to the end of it like i do (laughs) i think we're all guilty of it in Mm, some way to be fair so i guess to summarize then in terms of help and advice um for our listeners we've talked about finding something that you enjoy um finding something that works for you but also takes into account any limitations that you might have Um, If you're already in work, um, having an open dialogue with your employer about your limitations, about what um, you need to do. Can they adjust anything? Are there any adaptations? Are are there any alternatives? Um, It can be difficult to have those conversations directly. So whether there's anybody that can support you um, and, you know, whether that's through, for example, trade union or, but also, you know, Speaking to um, vocational rehabilitation specialists or occupational psychologists um, can be really helpful because they'll have that understanding of how brain injury affects um, the individual. So it's not 
it's not just about the task, it's about how the uh, your brain injury might affect your ability to plan. Finding somebody who understands as well, that's mm. a massive thing. Thank Absolutely. Um, and we, you know, we do recognize that not everyone will have a sympathetic employer. No. Um, so then if you have someone um, with a, an occupational psychology or vocational rehabilitation background, they might be able to point you in another direction using the skills that you have um, to, to identify alternatives. Um, definitely not taking on too much, um, you know, and, and that's easier said than done. I, specifically thinking about brain injury and often the issues of lack of insight that come around that. Um, it can be easy to want to do everything straight away and, yeah. you know, that running before you can walk. Because while you're, while you're recovering, your, your list of things to do is mounting up and mounting up. And mm. then, you know, you try and do too much at once and then you're going to fail and that's going to make you feel even worse. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, allow yourself the time. It's okay to take time to to recover and to try and build yourself up to towards um, any activity that will give you purpose. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Make sure you check out the footnotes for more help, advice and resources. Please don't forget to follow, subscribe and share our content. If you do have any suggestions for topics that you'd like us to cover, why not drop us a line at hi at braininjurybites.co.uk.